everybody and welcome to the No BS Virtual Book Club's live video series. Now, do you know anyone who would turn their back on a billion dollar business to hitchhike around the world to find happiness and inner peace? Or study to become a rabbi and walk away one day before getting ordained? And spend a decade living as a monk in a monastery? Or help a new age publishing house grow from a small bean to a gigantic beanstalk with branches that span the world? and then walk away again. I've met a lot of people in my life, but there's only one who would do all that that I know in pursuit of self-knowledge and wisdom. So meet magician, writer, guide, and author of The Mosaic, Daniel Bruce Levin, who's going to take us behind the scenes of the 10 books that made the biggest impact on his spiritual journey. Daniel Bruce Levin, here in after known as Danny. Welcome and thank you for joining us. What an honor to be here with you. I love you so much. And it, any any opportunity that I have to see you in a little box next to my box. <laughs> I'm glad you said next to your box because see you in a little box has a lot of connotations. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's mutual, Danny. It's mutual. I'm really glad to have you here. Um, really glad it's been a long time coming so where should we start well um you know i'll tell you a little bit about danny if you haven't already guessed from that interview he is a very rare blend of businessman and mystic who truly does see what others do not see and it's been this one quality more than any other that's thrown him into some of the most exclusive boardrooms to help companies around the world innovate new ways of finding solutions when the old ways stop working, as indeed we all know they've done and they continue to do right now. And having known Danny for a number of years now, I think I can reliably claim that his life-changing fable, The Mosaic, which we're gonna hear more about later, is the book that Danny was born to write and hence is his most defining work to date. So let's get on with it. You say that compiling your 10 best list was a very interesting exercise for you. How so? Well, if you think about a life and if you think about the 10 books that you would read in the course of a lifetime, that would each one alter you in the moments that you read them, almost like, pardon the narcissist of this analogy, almost like pieces of a mosaic that came come together at certain points of time to just give just that right information. Sometimes it was just the title of a book. Sometimes it was the stories contained in, but sometimes it was just the whole feeling. And I felt as if in doing this brilliant exercise that you invited us to do by having our 10 most powerful books that we read, it felt like a reintroduction into the touchstones of my life where life changed for me. And those moments of change were so beautifully dramatic each time that uh, I looked back on my life and thought, wow, each one of these books just helped me move from another step to another step to another step to another step. It was beautiful. I love hearing this from people. Um, it's one of the... Um, the gifts of this book club that I don't take any credit for, 
Um, but it's a gift of this book club that I had never thought about or foreseen until people started telling me this. And I love the fact that I'm asking people to do something that may seem like a pretty onerous task, but when they do it, they all say, oh my God, you know, that really put me in touch you know, all the, joins all the dots. Saying what a treat it is to have this opportunity to go back and visit these sacred friends. I mean, really close friends of mine that really were impactful people, places, things, books in my life. It, it, was, it wasn't onerous at all. It was uh, exquisite to have a moment with them again and just to say thank you. Because each one, that, each time I, I thought of them, I said, thank you so much. For the opportunity that you've given me. So tell me what books in general mean to you. My life has changed a lot. I used to read all the time. For God's sake, I was in publishing for 30 years of my life. So books were such a big part of my life. But in my later years now, books have become less and less and less important because it's almost as if my head has been become so filled with words. And when I, I, have, I have conversations now with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And I hear so many words. I read so many words. What I realized somewhere along my life, I don't even know how it happened, but especially in these last few months, three to six months, Something's happened in me where I have so little interest in hearing words and so much more interested in just this feeling of love that is permeating through every cell of my being and the sense of just connecting in this place of love. Right now I feel, and I don't know that this answers your question, but it's just so relevant to the moment that I'm in. I feel like a cardboard box into which the present, the gift of love has been placed. And I just move now from place to place, the, delivering the box in the mail. And when people come, they don't, they cut the box open and put it in the recycle bin. The, the gift isn't the box that the gift comes in, it's the gift. And I just let them open up the box, put the books in the box in the recycle bin, I leave and circle around, collect my box, piece it back together and put love back into it again and go someplace else. And all too often people want to mistake the box for the gift, but the box is just the box that the gift came in. Mm. And so when I read books now and I read, hear people speak, all too often I hear them confused thinking that the box is the gift rather than just the box in which the gift has come in. Does that make sense to you? It, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm hearing from a lot of people that they are reading less and less. And I think part of that is a lot of the people that I mix with have been reading for so long, you know, yes. that they've absorbed it all anyway, and now they're embodying yeah. it and they don't need to read it. And if they do want to read, it's for a different reason or just for the odd. But it strikes me that actually, and this is happening for me, um, the words, fewer words, you know, I could, I could pick up a book that might only have four words in it, 
I could mm -hmm. see people publishing books that might only have half a dozen words in it, but every single word, you know, they're the ones that matter the most. Yeah. And it's hard to write words that matter. So often we write a lot of words because we're not clear enough to say what we want to say in a succinct way. In the process of becoming clear, becoming simple, mm -hmm. becoming very, very fourth grade-ish. Like I, what I love about the mosaic, what I love about most of the books that I read, that I have in my 10 best lists, is they can be read by a child and, be, and gain just as much information from them. Mm -hmm. In fact, my first book that I started out with, my mom almost killed me for getting but I bought it when I was four years old with my allowance. It was called The Phenomenal Gene Dixon, The Prophecy. And she was a early, the gift of prophecy. She was an early psychic in that time. I have no idea why she, was, she appealed to me. But I walked into the bookstore and I saw that book and I saw the Alistair, Alistair McCrow books, McCow books, I can't even remember his name now. Alistair Crowley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alistair Crowley. And I just was intoxicated by the, by the glass case that it stood in. I just wanted it. And, and you know, I, I remember going with my brother one time and he said, no, those, you, don't, you don't want to look at those books. I said, but I'm so drawn to them. There's magic in this world. There's beautiful things going on. And I brought home, I brought home a gift of prophecy by Jean Dixon. And my mom said, what did you get at the bookstore? And I showed her. She put me right back in the car, took me right back to the bookstore, <laughs> yelled at the bookstore owner and said, what the heck are you giving a four-year-old kid this book for? But, but I still just wanted to know what was going on. How is it possible to know something so deep and so, and so um, unseen? How do people see the unseen? And it always intoxicated me because I always felt like I saw things that other people didn't see. Yeah. So I wanted guideposts along the way. You did say in your introduction to your list that um, that you were very interested in superheroes and that you were drawn to things that were not of this world. Yes, yes. Yeah. And more and more what I'm seeing now as I grow older is the superheroes are the beautifully ordinary people. Yeah that there are, there are no people walking around with capes and masks. Those are the people that we don't want to hang out with. Those are the ones that, and, and this whole um, thrust now to be extraordinary superhero people. I find it to be one of the reasons why so many of us feel not good enough why so many of us feel that we never can measure up because we hold this unattainable, unsustainable bar amongst ourselves. But when you look at a sunrise, there's nothing in the world that's as beautiful as a sunrise. Mm -hmm. And it happens every single morning. We know exactly the time. When you watch day turn into night, what an exquisite moment when dusk settles in and the sun sets and the light of the day becomes the dark of the night. It's exquisite. It happens all the time. When you look at nature, a mountain doesn't want to be a river and a monkey doesn't want to be an elephant. They're just happy being what they are. 
it's only us humans that think we have to be more than we are. Yeah, yeah. And so I, that was that was your first book on your list, the Gene Dixon book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I sort of tie in it all together. I believe the more that we want to be is that we want to dance in the world that was familiar to us when we came in here that we can't see anymore. That's really the more that we want to be. We want to know why do we, at four years old did I want to buy that Gene Dixon book? Did I buy that Gene Dixon book? Because I sort of sensed there was another world here for me to be a part of that this world was not of. If that makes sense. Mm. Your book number two, wow, that's another very powerful book. And you say that it changed your life um, and not necessarily because of the words. And that is Autobiography of a Yogi, which uh, comes up again and again and again. Yeah, yeah. So tell us why that book impacted you and it wasn't the words. There was something in the presence of even his picture there was something about it and it's really interesting because when it was time for me to read it it was on my bookshelf and i don't even know how it got there i don't ever remember buying it i just sort of was looking at my bookshelf one day and i thought huh how did this book get here and i pulled it down and i started to read it and on page seven he was by locating he was talking about somebody that was bilocating, having a body one place and a body in another place. And I went, whoa, I want to know the secrets of this. But the overwhelming feeling that I had was this feeling of just complete love of sitting in this big throbbing heart and being told the story that every word made me, made me fall in love more and more and more. And I'm still so intoxicated by a story that he tells of his teacher's teacher's teacher, a man by the name of Babaji. And Babaji made a pact to stay as an 18-year-old boy for all of time. He made a pact with Christ. Christ would go and would watch over the world from the heavens and Babaji would watch over the world from the earth. And how do you make a pact to be an 18-year-old boy? Because in 10 years, you know, if that, you know that's not going to be true if it's not going to be true but he maintained the body of an 18 year old boy. And he would walk through the Himalayas and virtually be unseen most of the time. And a man heard about his story and went running to him and obviously couldn't find him. But he sat on the path in the Himalayas thinking that if he walked here once, maybe he'll walk here again. And he sat for 40 years on that path. And while he was sitting one day, 40 years into sitting, he felt this presence walk by and he opened his eyes and the presence was already a hundred yards further on. And he yelled out, Babaji, Babaji, is that you? And Babaji stopped and turned around. And the man came running up to him, running up to him after 40 years of sitting, I don't even know how his body worked, came running up to him and said, Babaji, if you don't accept me as, my, as your disciple, I'm gonna jump off this cliff. I've been waiting here for you for 40 years. And Babaji said, go ahead. And he ran and jumped off the cliff. Babaji looked at the, at the people he was walking with and he said, we have some work to do. He snapped his fingers. Suddenly they were all at the bottom of the ravine. 
The man's body was a mess. It was, it was in shrivels all over everything, scattered all over everywhere. And Babaji tapped him on the head. His body came back intact. He woke up and he was there totally whole. And he said, I just had to see, I just had to see if you were true to your word or not. Welcome, you're one of them. You can walk with me now. Oh. I don't know that I have the, the ability to run off that cliff, but I sure would like to. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And the book's filled with story after story after story of these great teachers that he met along his way. But it, it's only partly the teachers that he's met. It was who he was, who he was, the person that was meeting those people. And I became completely intoxicated by that person. Completely like, is this even possible that we could become somebody like this person? And I spent my life wanting to be not him, but to be me, to be the me that is that person. It's beautiful. Mm. And you live just down the road from the Self-Realization Fellowship in Encinitas. Yes. So you can go there and bathe in the energy anytime you want. Yes. And, and he walked this whole, this whole place. Mm. So you can go and say, I can go and be in the, and visit the rooms where he wrote his book, The Autobiography of a Yogi. Mm. But, you know, walking the streets or walking along the beach here, he's here. You feel him. I remember being in the Holy Land and feeling, feeling that Christ walked this land. And I, and I, I would feel him walking the land 2,000 years later. Well, Yogananda walked this land. And it was only 50, 60, 70 years ago. His presence is still in every, in every stone that I step on. And you can feel it. Yeah, I used to go there when I lived in San Diego when I wanted to just be peaceful and quiet. Yeah. 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 So book number three, another one that crops up again and again is Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. I, I, um, I think when I read Siddhartha, it was right after my parents passed away. And I moved in with my uncle, who was a household name, across the world. And he gave me the biggest gift you could ever imagine. He offered me, after watching me for about a month and a half, he said, I'd like to, I'd like to change your life today. I said, wow, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to start you pushing a broom in our offices and I'm going to watch you grow on your own accord. When you stumble, I will pick you up and I will mentor you. And I will have you in 15 years, you're 15 years old now, by the time you're 30, you will be sitting in my chair, running a multi-billion dollar company. And this was 50 years ago. So you can imagine what that company is worth now. And into my hands fell the book Siddhartha, the son of a king. 
who had the whole kingdom awaiting him to inherit it. And Siddhartha walked away to study in the practice of Buddhism and the practice of the Buddha. And I was so taken by that. I don't think that I realized then that that story helped me make the decision that I made. But looking back now, how could it not have? I was intoxicated by Herman Hesse. I couldn't, I, I read everything that he wrote, but Siddhartha just stayed in me. And I remember feeling as I read that book and as I, as I thought about it, that I wanted to walk through the town like Siddhartha walked through the town. I wanted to feel the things that he felt. I wanted to see this world and the beauty, all the beauty that it was there and just walk through it, not be in it. And I fell in love with that book. It was one of the few books that I've kept for all of time that I just felt like this is a life worth living. And it's interesting, it wasn't the life of the Buddha. It was the life of the disciple of the Buddha that I wanted to live, which is really interesting now that I'm thinking about it. So did you walk away immediately or did you as a 15 year old, you know, say yes, fine, pick up the broom and start it and then later on disappointed your uncle no i i he it took him about a month and a half to figure out that i had what it could have what it took to run his company and he came to me and said i, I it, i'd like you to do, i'm going to give you this opportunity and I, I i thanked him so much i said wow what a fabulous opportunity i would you're you're wise you're this brilliant wise man it took you a month and a half to see if I was somebody that was, that you could offer this to. I'm a kid. I'm a naive 15 year old kid who doesn't know anything about anything. I would like to take a year and have the same opportunity you had to watch you and to see if you're somebody that I want to be when I'm 30 years old. It was pretty brave. For yeah. 15 year old yeah well how brave did i have to be i just lost my mom and dad yeah. i mean my bravery was at an all-time high because i was looking for this love that they had this beautiful feeling and i just wanted to know that the decisions i was making were going to bring me closer to that than further away from that and i remember sitting down with him at lunch and he and he said do you have an answer to my question and I said, I do, but it's in the form of three questions. And he said, oh, that doesn't seem good. You know, Danny, 99.99999% of the people would have said yes when I asked you a year ago. Now you have three questions for me. It doesn't bode well, but what are your questions? And I said to him, do you remember that on your birthday, you had 400 people show up to the house? And I came running up to you and I said to you, you must feel so happy. 400 people have shown up to celebrate your birthday. It must feel magnificent to have that many friends who care about you and love you and want to celebrate your birthday with you like this. 
I said, do you remember what you said to me? He said, I do. What do you think I said to you? I remember you said to me, none of these people are my friends, Danny. They're here because I have a lot of money. And the only thing they're interested in is how my money can be in their pockets. He said, that's pretty close. I said, can you tell me why you would like to give me that gift? Why would you like to give me the gift of not knowing if the people that I love, love me for me or love me for what I could do for them? That doesn't seem like a gift that I would, that someone who loved me would want to give me. He said, okay, not voting well. What's your second question? I said, I remember sitting around the dinner table with you and the girls were starting to date. And the girls were pretty and the girls were smart and the girls were somewhat educated, but they weren't. They weren't, you know, fabulously beautiful or fabulously smart. And they were starting to get boys. Boys were interested in them. Do you remember what you said to them? You said to them, nobody's going to like you for who you are. They like you because of your last name. He said, that's right. I'd say that to them today. Yeah, they have to be very careful because people are just interested in getting the money and marrying into the money. I said, so say for a minute that I was wise enough to be able to choose friends that I loved and adored, that loved and adored me, and we could get through that hurdle. Why in the world would you want to give that present to my children? That they wouldn't know that someone loved them for them. They would think someone's only marrying them for their last name or wanted to be friends with them for their last name. He said, this does not bode well. What's your third question? I said, I love that you want to start me pushing a broom. And along the way of pushing a broom, I'm going to talk with every single person that I interact with. I'm going to listen to every single person along the way. I'm going to learn so much about the company from the people that are involved in keeping the company, from the people that sweep the floors to the people that sell the product, to the people that do what do the work, to the people that market it, to the people that I'm going to, I'm going to talk to. I'm going to listen to every single one of them. And in listening to every single one of them, I'm sure they're going to give me ideas that could really transform and make this company and the culture of this company an even more magnificent place to be. Would you give me the, these, the okay to initiate some of those ideas? Do, do you remember what you told me? You said, yes, I do. You told me if it ain't broken, why fix it? How many billion dollar companies have you created? So what do you think the answer to your question is now? And he said, I think you're making a very big mistake. I said, I think you're probably right. But I can never go into something that is yours without it becoming mine at one point. And it doesn't seem like you want to share what you have with me. You want me to do it the way you want me to do it. And I don't think I'd ever be happy trying to be you. I'd just be a complete failure. Because a monkey can never become an elephant. I don't think I'll be very good. So I think that the answer I'm going to say to you is no. 
And he said, you realize what that means, don't you? And I said, I have an inkling, but I'd like you to tell me. He said, you're going to be excommunicated. I said, I'm sorry that that's the reality of it, but I completely understand. I'm so thankful that you showed me the life that you've shown me for this year that I've been here. How quickly do you need me to leave? He said, well, we are, we made an agreement. We're paying for your college. So you, you have, you have a few months left here till you go to college. But once you go to college, you don't come back. I said, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much. To their credit, they couldn't excommunicate me in the way they tried to. They just kept trying to help me out along the way. They wanted to help me. They wanted to help me. I was either too stubborn to get it or just I saw the hook at the end of the, of the, of the mm. rope saying, we'll help you if, we'll help you if. And, and I didn't want to be helped if, so I just had to walk away. Mm. I, don't know, I don't know many people that would have had the courage to do that. I don't. I don't. Yeah. And uh, Siddhartha inspired you. Siddhartha was my was Siddhartha was me. Mm. I, I literally wore the cloak of Siddhartha, not of the Buddha, but of the one who walked away from the kingdom to have the opportunity to take the search that was a search to take. So hence you're studying to be a rabbi, you're spending 10 years living as a monk yes mm. yeah i what i realized in writing the mosaic which was the final book on my list is that when i asked the adults where my parents were they told me they were in this place called heaven so all my life i've been searching for that place that would take me to that place called heaven and it was only in writing that book that i realized what my heaven really was which we can get to later Let's get to that later. So, book number four fits in very nicely here. Be here now, Ram Das. When I saw that book and I saw the movement that was building in the 60s and 70s, late 60s and 70s, I was just so intoxicated because I thought, what was the allure of my uncle's company that I was giving me? It was allure of this is what you will have in 15 years. Look at all you will be able to have then. But this whole concept of be here now, be here in this moment, what will this moment give you? And, and the, the LSD version of, of a beautifully Jewish man who had gone to Harvard and studied and, and was a well-known psychology professor and the experience of seeing the world like totally transformed through his, through his experimentation with, with psychedelics brought me into psychedelics. And I remember, I don't know how I made it through college. I didn't make it all the way through. I only lasted a couple of years. But every day I was intoxicated with something because I just couldn't imagine here were the, here were the, here was this plant medicine and these and these pills that I could take, and the moment I took them, everything that I saw changed. The world that I thought was so constant and so real and so present and so like undeniably real, suddenly became undeniably unreal. 
Like suddenly there were new things that were happening. There were the dimensions of things that were opening up all around me that I had no idea that even existed. There were buds on trees that didn't have buds. There were, there were experiences that I was having where I would look at my hand and I could see through my hand. And I realized that I wasn't anything at all, that the solidity of this form was not here at all. And it made me realize what Be Here Now was really about. Be Here Now was only like the power of now, now of Eckhart Tolle, of we just want to be in this moment. Be Here Now is where is here and where, where, where is here and where is now? Like, what is the here now that I'm in? Is it this world that I'm fixated in? Or is it this new world that I just take a little pill and all suddenly I see a whole new reality? And that reality was so intoxicating. It was probably the first time that I ever realized that what I see isn't what is. And so whereas most people focus on the be or the now, my pursuit was on the here. What was the here that I was here to be in? And that here was moving so dramatically on a scale like I sound like, I, as I hear myself speak, I sound like a crazy person. And I'm probably not far from the truth. Because in those days, I just was like, I was overwhelmed with the realities of the realities of the realities. And they were all real to me. And it made this small reality that I was living in so, so small. Because suddenly I saw whoa, look at what's happening out here. We are not different. It was the first time that I had an experience where I remember we had a house. I, I was going to school in, in Los Angeles. And we had a house with a pool. And I was swimming in the pool. And, and I was thinking, that's weird. What am I doing up here? And I was completely out of my body, watching myself swim. And I didn't know where I was. But that was one of many situations where I would be sitting with people and I didn't realize which, I, I forgot which body I was moving. Because I was in other, other bodies. I was in trees, I was in stars, I was in grass, I was in hills, I was in mountains. I remember walking with my best friend and we would walk through the mountains and we would create these little chi balls in our hands, you know, energy balls. And we would just fill them with love. And we would just throw them unseen at people along the trails, trying to explode them with little balls of love, of energy of love. And we would just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And it was an experience with LSD that made me leave the seminary. I, I, a friend of mine sent me an envelope. I don't have no idea how he, where he even, how he even knew where I was. Five years, 10 years, seven years after I left, I, I was not in contact with him ever. And all of a sudden in the mail in Jerusalem, Israel, in my mailbox was a little envelope. And I opened up the envelope and, a, and my friend said, thought you might need these. And there were two tabs of window pane in it. I have no idea how he knew where I was, how he, if he even knew that I would take it, what would happen. I went to see my Rebbe and I said, Rebbe, 
I really think I should do this. He said, you can't do it in Jerusalem. Go to the desert. And I took my best friend, my study buddy, who was an old hippie from, from the 60s with me, 70s. I said, you're not going to believe what the Rebbe told me, you, told, me, told, us, told me you have to do with me. We're going to go to the desert and we're going to drop LSD. He said, are you kidding me? I said, no, you have to come with me. He went and told his wife and his eight kids, I'll be back in a, in a, in a couple of days. We got on a bus. We went down to, to, and, and to, went down to Angeti. And we went on, we climbed up in the desert, in this natural reserve in Israel. And we climbed up to, a, to the first lake. And we spent the night at the first lake. Two naked yeshiva buckers sitting, sitting there. And we dropped LSD as the morning came. And then we, were, we had to leave because people were coming. So we had to go higher up. So we went higher up. And as I got to stand up, there was a little stream there. And, and I, I said, he said, come on, Danny, we got to go because people are coming. I said, Benzion, I can't go the stream. This is, this is, the water is raging here. I can't move through this. He said, Danny, it's just a stream. It's, I'm standing in it. I can tell you, you're tripping. You think it's more than it is. I said, maybe you're tripping and you think it's less than it is. I'm, I'm scared to see what's going on. And he looked at me, he said, take my hand, I'm, I'm, it's gonna be fine. And we went up to the next level. And he said, Danny, you have to decide what you're gonna do. And he pointed, he said, look, I think I see something. There's a vision here. And there were mountain peaks all around us. And he said, look to the left. And on that mountain peak, do you see what I see? He said, oh my God, there's Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I see them as much as I see you sitting here in front of me right now. And he said, I think your decision has been made for you. And I said, how could it be any clearer? Of course it has. I'm going to go back. I'm going to take, I'm going to stay in the seminary. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my, uh, my ordination. I'm going to become, I'm going to become a rabbi. And as we were turning to leave, I looked to that mountain peaks on the right. And I said, oh my God. I said, Benzion, do you see what I see over there? He said, holy, holy Toledo. There's, there's Jesus and Buddha and Krishna. I said, now I, I saw them because I believe in them. You don't. You believe in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How is it possible you're seeing them? He said, Danny, they're standing right there. It's, what do you mean, how is it possible? So I said, now what the heck do I do? He said, it seems like any, any choice you make is blessed. You just have to make the choice. And I dove into the water. And I felt like I was in the womb. And I came out of the water and I realized I have to leave. I had to leave the seminary. Because my mission was much bigger than just the orthodoxy of Judaism. But again, LSD, be here now, was so intricately involved because where was the here that I was? You're a born storyteller, Danny. <laughs> a boring storyteller or a born storyteller? No, no. not boring. Born. Born. <laughs> I mean, you know, at 15, having that ability to structure those questions to your uncle the way that you did, I mean, you know, yeah. it was there all along. 
yeah. all along. So let's move on to book five. Okay. Um, the Tao Te Ching, The Book of the Way, Lao Tzu, published around 6th century BC. It's a bit older than the ones that we usually deal with. What did that book do for you? It made me realize this world is completely fine without me. That this world goes on its own. That everything in the world will be fine if we just let it be. And we saw the hint of that in COVID, didn't we? That when COVID came and we were all isolated, suddenly the Ganges, the most polluted river in, in, in the world, became 50% less polluted in two weeks' time mm. because nobody was going to it. We weren't dumping waste into it. We weren't doing anything. Someone said to me, we have to save the earth. I said, no, we don't. The earth will be just fine on its own. We have to save our place on the earth. We might no longer merit the, the good grace to be here on earth. But the earth will be fine. The earth will take care of itself. And the Tao Te Ching showed me that the way that can be told is not the way. That there is a way that is so simple and beautiful. There is a way that, again, is the way of the child. When you're hungry, you eat. When you're tired, you sleep. When you work, you work. When you make love, you make love. It is just so beautifully simple. But we are always preoccupied with what am I doing? How do I do? Where do I go? What do I do? Am I good enough? Can I do it? Nothing thinks like that. And the combination of the Tao Te Ching with be here now, the Tao Te Ching helped me understand better what the here of be here now was. It was a simple place to be. It was just so sacredly simple. And that's the theme that runs throughout your life and throughout yes. your choice in books. It's throughout everything that you do. Pare it down to the simplest. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, the next book, number six, again, for you, you said, I love this book's title, the beautiful work on the simplicity of the Zen practice, summed up by the four words in its title, Zen mind, beginner's mind. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even have to read the book. I bought the book just so I could have the cover of it, look at me and talk to me. Because, and I did read the book and I loved it. I loved it. I loved the, the exploration of it, but I didn't even have to. I love this idea that the beginner's mind was that mind that could do for the thousandth time the same thing over and over and over and over again, but never did it the same way. Did it always as a beginner, never realized it had ever done it before. We live such boring lives. We do the same thing. We eat in the same places. We make the same choices. We go to the same work. We do the same thing. But we have the possibility to do that same exact life 
in an intoxicatingly beautiful way by walking into it as if we've never done any of it before. And what would it look like if we had the curiosity and the fantasy and the and this exquisiteness of a little child discovering this for the first time and looking at it and going, oh my goodness, how, look what I get to do. Look at this beautiful thing that's right in front of me. Sometimes I think people with Alzheimer's are really blessed. Yes. And I know I'm making a big statement because it's, I know there's no blessing in there. There's a lot of pain in there. But that ability to forget who we are and suddenly see ourselves anew. Suddenly see ourselves for the very first time, doing this thing for the very first time. That alone would have wanted, moved me to want to practice Zen. That there could be such a mind that would be called the Zen mind, that would be the beginner's mind, that would make every single action, every single interaction, every single story new. Sometimes when I'm talking to people, I'll say, tell me what you're doing. And I'll hear them tell me the script of what they do. And I know they've said it a thousand <clears> times. And I'll say, okay, that's nice. <clears throat> Slide that to the right for a minute. Make pretend you've never, you can't, you can't say that anymore. Tell me what you would say in a way that you've never said it before. And that very practice, that very question is a question of innovation that makes them change the way they see their life, which is fascinating. Yeah, you're right. You know, I this was brought home to me one weekend when I was um, I had my grandson who was six months old and his parents were away for the weekend. And uh, I'd get him up in the morning and I'd go to the window and he would look at the trees and he would look at them with such wonder. And it yeah. was absolute awe and fascination and he would look at them exactly the same way the next day <laughs> and the next as if he was seeing them from for the first time yeah and you know it occurred to me much later in life that the first time we do anything is the most powerful time because after that done it you know it it fades into something we lose that ability to yeah. go back and do it again and again with the same awe I have, I have the beautiful privilege of having a developmentally delayed daughter. And her span of what she can say that people understand is very small. So she just says the same thing over and over again. But the excitement in which she says it for the thousandth time in the hour that she's talking is as if she, she'd never said it before. And I just marvel with her. Because we all tell the same stories over and over again. We might have a little more breath in them. We might have a little more time between the span. But she found a way to communicate her excitement for her world by saying the few words that people can understand with a new expression as if she never said them before. And I love it. Great lesson there. Great lesson. So book number seven is The Teachings of Don Juan, A Yaki Way of Knowledge, Carlos Castaneda. Um, that's another book that comes up from time to time. Uh, certainly made a big impact on me. Yeah. How so? Um, it just opened me to things that I hadn't thought about before. Yeah. And experiences. And I spent a lot of time thinking, how would I react to those events in my life yeah. um, and would I have 
the courage, you know, to take peyote or something in order to experience them for real yeah. rather than vicariously. It, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was um, quite an eye opener for me. Well, there was a peyote segment of my life where I, where I just enjoyed taking these beautiful mushrooms and, and having the experience of this peyote come through my system. I think part of my journey around the world, hitchhiking around the world, was an inner quest to hope that somewhere along the line, I would meet my Don Juan. I would meet my, my uh, teacher, who would be an old, simple man who wouldn't look much like anything, but would completely transform the way I saw the world. I don't think I ever met that character, not yet, but I still have my eye out for him. But I just love that, 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 that there was this awkward little man, completely unassuming, that had the power and the mystery of the universe within the medicine that he, he gave. And that people would come and sit with him and would go through outrageous experience. Sometimes, I mean, I think the ayahuasca community now is very close to the Don Juan community uh, uh, that I, I was in search for. I haven't done the ayahuasca community because it's some years later in my life now. But I just remember this. It's interesting as I'm recounting this to you, how much the drugs that I did in those in that short segment of time opened my life up because once I saw what I saw, I couldn't not see it anymore. And once I saw that this world was beyond the dimension that I knew, even when I could no longer see beyond the dimension that I knew, I knew the dimension that I knew was still there, if that makes sense. Mm. And um, I went down into Mexico searching. I just wanted to find him. I wanted to be not with a man who was an international household name because of the businesses that he started and the money that he had, but a man that was a household name because of what the experience that he could create within another human being. And all my people are heroes. You know, Yogananda is no different. He just didn't do it with the drugs. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, number eight, the I Ching, the Book of Changes. Among the oldest of the Chinese classics. I traveled with the I Ching. I, I forgot until I was re re reunited with it again. I would sit on street corners as I hitchhiked around the world. And I didn't want to take a camera with me because I didn't want to have the, the responsibility of having it stolen. So I took charcoal pencils and a pad. And I would draw what I saw. Sandra, I am a lousy drawler. There was nobody that was coming to watch me draw, believe me. <laughs> But there was a magic around what happened because I had my I Ching and my coins by my side as I was doing that. And as people would come, we would do the I Ching with them. They would ask a question and we would throw the coins. And people would sit and they were so thankful for what the I Ching gave them 
that they would go away and they'd come back and they'd bring fruits and cheeses and meats and wine and bread. And we would have these celebrations on street corners that started out with me just drawing with charcoal pencils as a lousy drawler, something that I was seeing so that I could have some picture of it. And I don't know if they felt just so sorry for me that they thought how will this guy ever ever lived because he's certainly not going to make it in the art that he's doing or if they felt so thankful for the gift that the I Ching had given them but somehow we had tens of people that would come and we would have celebrations every day in different cities on different corners just by the very nature of the fact that people came together for this sort of young hippie-esque looking guy who would sit on street corners and draw and read fortunes. And it was such an exquisite moment. Sometimes we couldn't even understand each other, but the love we shared and the laughter that we had, and I would read the I Ching and I knew they didn't have any idea what I was saying because they didn't speak English, but we would just be with each other and they, and they felt something from what was happening. They certainly couldn't feel something in the art that I was drawing because it was really not very good, but they enjoyed it. And we would laugh for hours together on random street corners in random cities all around the world. It was one of the most special moments of my life because I just felt like this wandering citizen of the world that was getting a chance to sit with my brothers and sisters in diverse different ways. I remember being on the island of Corfu and there were these beautiful olive trees there and I had a moped and I was riding my moped through the aisles and these women start, started going crazy, like flashing me down, stopping me. And I thought, oh my God, I must've done something. Maybe someone's hurt. So I stopped my moped and they came running down and they had their babushkas uh, and they were they were holding something in there, and they let go of their aprons and they, and they created a tablecloth with olives all all on it. And they just, and they said, "Sit with us." And we sat and ate freshly picked olives with people that I couldn't understand, old old village women with this young crazy guy on a moped. And we just laughed and hugged and loved and just spent time together. And I thought, this is the life that I love living. Not a life where I would be in an office building, crunching over figures and, and things like that. This, this is life, this is real life. That here that I had been wondering, where is the here of the be here now? Every step along my journey, I was finding here is the here. Yeah. And I loved here, it. Here, here, and now here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. So, number nine, the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, what a, what a scripture. I mean, when I had a chance to sit with that, I thought, how is it possible that a book could be written about my life that had nothing to do with me, but that was everything about me? 
the battlefield. The offer that was made to one side was you can have all the soldiers, every soldier that exists in the world, trained, skilled, fabulous in their, in their artistry of war. Or you can have one soul figure. One side clearly picked the soldier because that's what they related to. And the other side picked the one figure. The one figure just happened to be Krishna who was the incarnation of God. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that all the soldiers of the world on the battlefield of life couldn't overcome one lowly, highly creature I questioned myself, do I have the courage to make that choice? Because so often I would have picked all the soldiers. I would have thought, I want to win this battle, so I'm going to pick the soldiers. Like, we'll get back to God afterwards. Like, let's win these wars. But you can't win a war that God's not a part of. And when I realized that a whole book was written around the life story of a man who was offered, a, a boy who was offered a billion dollar company, of a boy who was told he could be the prodigy for organizational psychology, a boy who was told that he could start and become a leading force in spreading Judaism around the world, a boy that had met all these people of the world that celebrated with him and had festivals and, and feasts with him along the streets and villages and, and mountains and hills of the country. But when that boy was only looking for one thing, the one with the big G on their sweatshirt. And when I made the choice to find the one with the big G on his sweatshirt, I realized that was the choice that would win every battle. That was the choice that I was looking for. And if I can tie it into our last book, because I know I'm overstaying my welcome a little bit. Let me just say one thing here um, about this next book. Last week we had Robert Moss on, um, and he said that, and I don't know whether this is something that he came up with or someone else, or somebody told him that the most important book he would ever read was his own journal. Yes. Yeah. The most important book that you've produced, and I know you've produced, uh, you've produced many, but you've actually written a few yourself. The Mosaic is, it is your journal. It is your story. It is everybody's story. It's our story. It's that quest that we're all on. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us why you included your own book in your list. And it's okay that you did. Thank you. Why I included it then is even different than why I would include it now. That book is alive. And what it has given to me through the course of being involved and listening to the characters in it has really transformed it. In the process of writing that book, I wrote it, I wrote it, I wrote it. I thought it's hard. I wrote the characters, I wrote the stories. I wrote it the way I wanted to write it. I wrote it, I got help from people to write it. I, 
people helped me to flush it out. People helped me to do it. And suddenly it was all just taken from me. Files that I saved were gone. Files that I, I, and I know how to save a file. I would spend hours and days and weeks writing a chapter that I thought would only take me eight weeks to write because I had written a book for a, a hotel that took six weeks telling their story. And I thought I surely can tell my story in less time, but I'm going to give myself an extra two weeks. Two and a half years later, I was still trying to write this book. Everything had been taken from me. And finally, I had a call like this in my mind with the characters in my story. I had them show up one at a time. And I said, what is going on? Why will you not let me write this story? And they said to me, Danny, the words you're saying for us to say, we would not say. And we won't say. And I said, I'm sorry. With all due respect, I created you. You're my characters. I should have a say in what you say. They said, sure, you can. It's your, it's your, your choice. But if you continue to say what we don't want to say, we'll continue to delete your, your files. We'll continue because we can't say what you want to say. You're not listening to us. You're writing the book for other people. The only person that's important to read this book is you. We're writing the book you most need to read. And when I was at Hay House, I had watched people do that, but I fell prey to my own ego. I was writing a book telling this beautiful story that a friend of mine helped me craft, and that I was writing this thinking that this story is really beautiful. And I can't, I'm a great storyteller, and I want to tell people the stories that I know. They wanted me to live those stories again. They wanted me to be open to hearing what they were saying in every moment. When I go back and read that book, I just recorded it on audio. So when I hear that book, it's as if I never heard it before. It's as if Zen mind, beginner's mind has come upon me. Because what I hear and what's happening to me as a result of those characters and those books and those characters that are not in that book, those characters that are in the world at large that have told me that everything in this world is speaking to us. Why it was important to me then when I wrote included it in this list was because I knew it would change my life why it's important to me now is that change is starting to happen. Somewhere along the line, I can't remember when, I don't know how, I don't know who it was. I bumped into a stranger who gave me a present. I can't tell you what the present was. I can't tell you what happened. I can't even tell you that I opened it. But somewhere within my life, especially in the last six months, 
last four months, even more specifically. I was moving a box and the present fell out of the box. And I thought, this is interesting, what's this? And that present was the present of love. A love that was so magnificent. A love that was so powerful that nothing else mattered. It was the question, love was the question, love was the answer, love was the medicine, love was the problem. Everything was love. And I heard all this noise of people talking. I'm a talker, listen how much I'm talking. But the mosaic said to me, speak your words, Danny because your words have the ability to captivate the minds of people. Your stories are interesting enough that you occupy the space of their mind. Fear lives in the mind, Danny. If fear is occupied in the stories you tell of the mind, you are completely at liberty now to take this present that we've given you of love and drop it unbeknownst to them into the hearts and souls of everybody you meet. You are not the gift. You're the box that delivers it to the place that you show up at. Take the box away, leave the gift, but there's plenty of gift for you to take. Take it and put it in the box again and carry it to the next destination. And that's what's happening in my life now. So you found the sweatshirt with the big G on it. I, I, maybe, maybe I, it's a box. It's in a box that I'm delivering. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, sounds like it to me. All too often, people mistake the box for the present, mm. but the present's the present. The box is just the box that delivers it. Yes, you say that the story or somebody has said this about the book, the story of the mosaic is charming, but it's the story between the words yes. that is what is transformative. Yeah. What does the space say to you? And there it is, right there in that space. Yeah. yeah. And I would always say that, but I would never understand it until I started to hear people's stories. They told me their stories over and I go in these rooms where I just fill them with love. And people want to just tell me the stories of their pain. And, and they've said their stories so often and so many times. So I say, hold it, just pause for a minute. Because in the space between your words, there's the absence of your story. Sit in that space between your words and feel this love that's there. That space has all new stories to tell you if you just allow it. Quiet. Feel, experience the quiet, the stillness. And in that stillness, there's so much new energy that wants to come to you. Sit in that silence where your stories don't exist anymore. I love, the last time I saw you two years ago, um, at the beginning of the year, just before the pandemic. 
and you were about to embark on this incredible journey of just going around the country yeah. and talking to people and hearing normal people's, ordinary people's stories and just, and the pandemic came along and stopped all of that. And now you've found another way to do it. Yes. You're doing it online. You're dropping in on people in all yes. these rooms and you're just listening to their stories. Yeah. That's brilliant. So it, you didn't have to go anywhere. Yeah. It came I to you. I still want to. I still, I still want to get out because, for instance, you know, that's why I wanted you. I told you about this app called Clubhouse. Mm. Somehow I've gone in there and there's been an intoxication because all there is is people's voices. Yeah. And there's something that people feel in the resonance of a person's voice. And so I go from room to room just with my little box, delivering my pack, my present that's in my box, not me. I leave the room and I leave the present. And people are just like, oh my God, what, ha what just happened here? And I'm like, oh my God, what just happened here? But there is some beauty and now what we're trying to do, what we want to do is there's such an intimacy that's happening in these rooms that it's time to take Clubhouse into our house. It's time to bring that experience of that intimacy into the experience of our everyday life. And I want to start to create retreats where we bring this intimacy of space into people's lives, where we build businesses around this intimacy of space where we build, where we create things around the mystery and the mercy and the energy and the love of just what this presence has. And it's beautiful. It's happening. It, it's all coming to me. Just like I always wanted. Yeah. I wanted to be a flower that just put out an, a, 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 an aroma where people would just come and smell the aroma. And suddenly, for no reason, who would think that a little box could bring a gift that would be so powerful that people would want to come and see where the box would take the gift next? Danny, we're out of time now. We sometimes ask people what book they're reading now. It's pointless asking you that because you're not reading any stories. You're listening to them all. Yeah. And there's too many for you to tell us about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's beautiful to hear the stories of people's lives because every one of us is a beautiful, 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 beautiful book. Yeah. And, and I have the privilege of listening every day to the audio books of people's lives. Mm. What a blessing. What a blessing indeed. So are you planning on writing any more books? I don't know. I have more books in me that I would like to write, but I don't know that I will write them. This, this love affair that I have with the mosaic is, is monogamous right now. And it really is asking for all of me. What I would love to do is create these little, I grew up in the 60s, as you can probably well imagine from all my book selections and all those things that are happening in the 70s. We used to have love-ins in the 60s. 
where we would go to parks and we would take drugs and have free love and but we would just experience peace together i don't want to create the drug and free love era again but i do want to create spaces where people can come to and feel loved and accepted listened to and heard acknowledged and validated because i'm watching what happens when that happens in a world where we're fighting one another so desperately fighting so hard to maintain the belief systems we have, fighting so hard against anybody who believes differently than us. I want to turn that world upside down and shake it. So I'm sort of committed now in the direction that I'm going until something else happens. There have been people that say, why don't you write what you're experiencing now? It's, I, maybe I will. Who knows? Well, just be here now, Danny. Uh, wherever you need to be next will show itself i love it thank you mm. and thank you for being my friend throughout this whole process i i can't tell you how much you mean to me and how how much i love you ditto danny's book the mosaic is uh one of those rare books it has been described by others as in the tradition of the alchemist and the Celestine prophecy. Um, it's a magical little book. It's a simple story, but all of the power is in that simplicity. And I say that because I have read it and um, more than once. And uh, I would encourage you to go and check it out. And you can find out more about Danny at his website, danielbrucelevin.com. Danny. Thank you for joining us today. What an honor. Thank you so much for having me. I, I feel blessed every time I see you. So thank you again for the blessing of being with you. And everybody at home, thank you for joining us too. Uh, don't forget, you can hang out at the No BS Spiritual Book Club closed Facebook group. And this video will be posted on the website in about a week's time. So thank you everyone for joining us. Blessings. Thank you. Big love. Big love, yeah. Bye-bye.